Well, good morning. I think most of you know me. If you don't, my name is Nate Arnold, and I'm one of the REs over at uh, Metro North Church. And I'm very pleased. I just have a special attachment to this church. Uh, I love all you people, and uh, I love you very much from the bottom of my heart. So if you would, take your Bible. Go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 5 to 18, and we'll read this in a moment. But I titled, I intentionally used the word cornucopia, a gospel cornucopia is the title of my sermon, and I intentionally used that word because it's really kind of an old word, and I hope to grab your interest with it. And what does it mean? Some people who grew up at a certain time in the United States might really know what the word cornucopia is. Many others, I think, would not. So what does it mean and where does the idea for the word come from? The word cornucopia comes to us from two Latin words, cornu, which means horn, And copia, we would say someone takes copious notes, right? Copia means plenty. So it's a horn of plenty. People are starting to go, oh, yeah, I remember that. And the idea behind the horn of plenty, this is kind of crazy, but the idea of, of the horn of plenty comes to us from Greek mythology. The baby god Zeus, who was hidden from his father Kronos, who was wanting to eat him. I mean, he had real daddy issues. (laughs) at that point, he was being nourished by this goat god called Almathea. And not realizing his strength, Zeus accidentally breaks the horn off of the goat, and that becomes an unending supply of nourishment for Zeus. That's where the horn of plenty comes from. And we know that story is a myth, right? It's this way for yes, and that it's patently false. It's patently false. And in reality, a cornucopia is a curved basket that's tapered and actually fits the human body. It's a basket worn by people in Western Asia and Europe to carry newly harvested fruits and vegetables and things like that. And naturally, these baskets kind of became a sign or a symbol of plenty. That's why we see them at Thanksgiving all the time. You'll see them with all kinds of squash and good stuff coming out of them. People are going, squash? No. But yeah, you'll see them with all kinds. You'll see them with flowers coming out out of them, but you often see them around the Thanksgiving holiday. There'll be centerpieces on tables. And naturally, they came to represent a bountiful supply of food and other good things. Now, I'm not here to teach Greek mythology. Somebody say amen. (laughs) Which the Bible calls cleverly devised fables. Let's just get that out of the way. Okay, Or the archaeology and historical use of some basket that someone used in the past. I'm here to preach Christ and to show that He actually is the cornucopia. He is the inexhaustible supply of salvation and hope for those who have put their faith in Him. He is the gospel cornucopia. You see, often our faith falters. I know mine does. But often our faith falters during trouble and affliction. 
Sometimes we even cease to speak. We even cease to talk about the good things that God does. And we cease to act on them all because we get wrapped up in some struggle and focused on something besides Christ. Amen. God the Father, though, has given us a basket of endless supply in Christ. Christ is the basket that provides all good things. No matter the struggle, we can turn to Christ in our hope. And you must be in this basket. Let me say this from the outset, because you're either in or you're out this morning. If you're in Christ, all the things that we're going to talk about are coming to you. If you're not in Christ, they're not. And But you could have them if you come to Christ. So let's read our text, and I'll ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5-18. through This is the Word of the living God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone into our hearts to give the light of the God, knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, precious, and infallible Word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, I am not sufficient for these things, but You are. So Lord, take Your Word through the power of Your Spirit and apply it to our lives. Encourage those who are downtrodden, who are struggling, those who don't know which way to turn, who are perplexed. Uh, Lord, who 
just don't know what to do, who are knocked down by life, I pray for them now and that Your Spirit would cause Your Word to lift them up and that great praise and honor might be given to You. Use the words of my mouth to exalt the name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, our first point, salvation is from God. Most of the people in the room are thinking, duh. Okay. <laughs> and that's okay. But Paul really wants to lay this groundwork before he goes on and talks about struggles. And here Paul describes his purpose, object, the purpose and object of his preaching, along with the power that comes behind or causes our salvation. And Paul wants his understanding to be our understanding. That's what he's doing here in the text. So let's look first at, at, at Paul's purpose here in chapter 4. He says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. Paul's purpose is not to proclaim himself. It's not like YouTube where I'm inviting all the attention to me, is it? Paul says, I am proclaiming someone else. I'm diverting the attention away from me to someone else. And this is what we do when we share the gospel. Proclaim someone, specifically not himself. Paul says, that's what I'm here to do. Now, we should ask then, well, what's the object of Paul's proclamation? And you already know the answer, because Paul tells us right there in verse 5. He says, I'm here to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, as King of all, as the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And he said, I have become your servant for that particular purpose. And Paul wants us to understand that and become servants of Christ to minister to others and to reach out to them. And Paul says, look, I also want you to know the power that's behind this. The power that's behind his preaching and our salvation. He said, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, this very same God that caused the cosmos to come into being by just the word, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. This is the very same God, the one who gives us the knowledge of Christ. Now, why is this distinction important? Think about that for a second. Why would Paul go to all this effort to show this? Well, it has to do with the way we often present and understand the gospel. Because I would submit that many people understand the gospel incorrectly. People often think, well, somebody tells me something and then I weigh what's being offered and then I make my own decision to accept Christ. But that's not what the Bible teaches patently. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that something happens prior to this. Could happen simultaneously with this, that without God calling us and shining into our hearts, we would never seek or turn to Him. And that's what Paul's saying. And this is clearly explained elsewhere in the Bible. Grab your Bibles. We'll take a quick tour. Let's go to John chapter 6. 
We were getting close to this this morning, but uh, John chapter 6, verse 44 and 45, this is Christ Himself speaking here. He says, no one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws Him. Any exceptions in that statement? No, no one can come. Verse 45 says, And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to Me, Christ says. And again, we can just go over just a couple of chapters to John 3. And this is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Don't get it. Can't see it. And the word there for see means that you can't get your mind wrapped around it. You can't, it's not something that I could see and become. The word, Greek word there means that I can't understand it. I can't see it. I can't comprehend it. And God has promised to do this very thing for us. If you're a follower of Christ today, I encourage you to rejoice in this. Let's go to Ezekiel, one other chapter, and then I'll move on. Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel 36, 26. Ezekiel 36, 26. And God promises this to His people. He says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes and to be careful to obey My rules. So Paul wants us to know that salvation is clearly brought about by God and not ourselves. And then Paul kind I, I think he kind of anticipates a question coming up from that because regarding God's power and the life of ease for believers because many people would ask, well, if it's the God that spoke the universe and He's done the calling for me, then everything should be hunky-dory in my life. Right? And Paul kind of anticipates that question. The question might go something like, okay, Paul, like I said, if salvation is from God who spoke the universe, the very God with all this power, why all these struggles as a Christ follower? The prosperity gospel is already beginning to creep in right here. If I serve God, everything will be good all my life. And that's not what Scripture teaches. It'll ultimately be good. We'll get to that. So Paul says, no, 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 not true. He says, because... These weaknesses, these things are what showcase the glory or display that this power is actually from God. And this brings us to point number two. Salvation is demonstrated by God through weak things, through weak things to clearly show that the power comes from God. Verse seven. Paul wants us to understand that the power belongs to God because there's no way weak vessels can hold up under the strain. Weak vessels must depend on Christ. You and I must depend on Christ. But that's not what the world teaches, is it? We must depend on some self-help book or some psychologist. But Paul says God chooses fragile clay pots to display His power so that we and those around us have to say, we must say, it has to be God. 
Because there is no other way a knucklehead like Nate could make it. Really. And you can reverse that. <laughs> yeah. You, you look at what a person is going through and you say it must be God. There's no other way that person could, could make it. There's no other way that those things could be happening. And because the power belongs to God, the glory belongs to God. We'll cover this a little later. Isaiah 42.8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I am Yahweh, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God's not going to share His glory with anybody else, but He's going to use weak vessels to bring Him glory. 1 Corinthians 1.27 and 29, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. That's reverse of the way that we naturally think. But that's how God works. That's how God says He works. And then in the following verses, 8 basically 8 through 12, Paul is going to get very raw. He's going to get very real with struggles. And he's going to lay them out for us. And he gives us seven contrasts in the text here. Verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, 11, and 12. So in verse 8, he says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Now the word afflicted there means pressure. Great pressure. To be pushed against, to be pushed against the wall and just squished. That's, that's what the word afflicted means. Hard pressed. But he says we're not crushed. Hmm, why not? Paul says we're perplexed. Which means I'm at a loss. I don't know what to do, God. I just flat. How many of you have ever been there? It's this way for yes. <laughs> yeah, you can put both hands up, right? Yeah. I don't know what to do, God. But Paul says we're not driven to despair. There's never an absence of hope. That's what despair means. Paul says we're persecuted. What does persecution mean? The word persecution means you're run out. You're run out of town. <laughs> That's what persecuted means in that sense. You're chased. You're put to flight. But he said, you're never forsaken. You're never left behind. Because Christ says, I will never finish it. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? And then last of all, he says, struck down. This is kind of a good football analogy. <laughs> you get laid flat on your back. Bam! Whatever. I heard one old preacher say that I never really looked up till God laid me flat on my back. And then I started looking up. But that happens to us. That happened to Paul. We're thrown to the ground. But he says we're not destroyed because of it. And I'll bring up my prop now. I know you've been waiting for this moment. Paul says we have this treasure in earthen vessels, in clay pots and it displays God's power. Now, I want you to think of this little pot here. And where I'm, I'm going to put him out on 526, just past the exit 
for Long Point Road in the middle of the road. Everybody got that? This pot is at risk. So he's out in the middle of the road, and the first day you go by to work, let's say you work in Charleston, you go by work, and you see that little pot out in the middle of the road, and you say, ain't going to go good for that little pot, right? But you come home from work. Hopefully that won't fall off and break. Little pot's laying there in the middle of the road. (laughs) Now you know tractor trailers run up and down there. And the max vehicle weight, gross vehicle weight for a standard tractor trailer is 80,000 pounds. That's 40 tons. And you saw one of them run this cat over. But he's still there. He's still there. You come back the next day and there the little pot is still out in the middle of the road. Gets spun all around. He's perplexed. He doesn't know which way to go. Doesn't know what to do. And finally, he gets hit by a Prius. Yes, they tow the Prius away. But just kidding. Uh, No offense to any Prius driver. (laughs) But yeah, he gets knocked down the road. Smack. But he's still there. And then finally... Every time you see him, he's, he's laying on his side. He's, he's struck down. But he's not destroyed. Now that would make you wonder, wouldn't it, if you saw that day after day after day. And that's exactly what God does with you and I in our struggles and everything. Because that would make me wonder enough to pull my truck over and I would go get this little pot because I would think somebody put something in here that was extra hard that could withstand all that. I I would. That's just my technical mind. I would be in the middle of the road getting this little pot. But yeah, and that's what God says He does with us. He puts us on display by doing that. And there is something in that pot, isn't there? For a Huh? What's in the pot? Good. Huh? What's in it? Good question. The Holy Spirit. Christ is in the pot, right? Christ is in that pot. And that's what keeps it from falling apart, isn't it? That's what keeps us from falling apart. And then Jesus is inside the Holy Spirit. And then Paul kind of switches in verses 10 and 11. He's uh, 10, 11, and 12, actually. He switches to kind of a death metaphor. Now, I'll say to you that the world has an answer for affliction. They'll send you to go talk to some doctor somewhere if you're afflicted with something. If you're perplexed, they'll say, well, you need to get some education. That'll fix your perplexedness. Uh, if you're persecuted, well, you should fight back. You should protest. And if you're struck down, well, you just get right back up, pull up, tighten your shoelaces. That's how the world approaches it. But next, Paul anticipates that. He says, here's something you can't fix, folks. He starts talking about death. And he uses death as a metaphor. He switches to a death metaphor. And, and the first thing he says here in, in verse 10 is always carrying the body, in the body, the death of Jesus. Wow. Fix that. You can't. You can't fix it. Okay. So that what? There's a, there's a purpose God does this. So that the life of Jesus may be manifested. Now we're a port city. I think I've actually said this here at this church. There's all those connex boxes at the port, right? 
those containers. And each one of those have a little sheet of paper in it. It's called, uh, starts with an M, rhymes with manifest. Okay? It's a manifest. And it tells what's inside. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. God, Jesus Christ, is manifested. He is shown to be inside of you and I by the struggles. But we don't look at it that way, do we? I don't. I'll just be honest with you. But he said we carry around the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus is exhibited in us. We get Christ's righteousness. We're given, he's given over to death for Jesus' sake, for Jesus' purposes. That's what it means to be Jesus' sake. So that the life of Christ, what's inside is being revealed, being manifested. He says death is in us, but life is in you. That's a great contrast. I am willing to be Christ's servant, to be spent in Christ's purposes so that others can hear the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. Is that your attitude? Do you trust God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit to hold and sustain you in all these situations? You see, we must run to Christ in faith for help to make sure our pot is full. He is our unending our cornucopia, unending supply of help. Proverbs 3, 4, you all know this probably. Trust in the Lord with all your might. Well, your heart, sorry. Might too. And do not lean to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Don't try to do it the world's way. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And then in verse 13 and 14, Paul wants us to know, he says, I'm not discouraged because of all these things that happened to me. How many of you have received 40 lashes minus one three times? I would taper back my preaching probably a little bit. You know, I'd be scared to go to the next town. But Paul says, I'm not discouraged by this. I'm willing to put up with this because Paul knows the end state. In verse 13, he says, See, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. In the spirit of faith, my circumstances do not cause my belief to falter. If I get my eyes somewhere else, my belief falters very quickly. And I think everyone thinks of Peter walking on water at that point. And he holds fast to the truth of the gospel, even in his affliction. That's what Paul's doing here. So Paul says salvation comes to us from God. Salvation power is demonstrated by God through fragile vessels. And then number three, salvation comes to us through the grace of God. And you can underline that word grace. So let's break this verse open and, and look at it. We'll examine it phrase by phrase. It's kind of like warm bread. This is food for our souls right here, this verse. This is our key verse, as a matter of fact, in this passage. It's the pivot point of the passage. And Paul says, I'll read the whole verse first. Verse 15 says, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul says, amen. Paul says, for it is all. Now, what is all? What in the world is that man talking about? What is all? Think about that for a second. 
And it's okay if y'all talk, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> if you've got the answer, spit it out. <laughs> okay. For it is all, all what? All this grand display that God has shown through everyone's lives. All the gospel proclamation that he talked about back in verse 5. Not ourselves, but Christ. Being a servant to others. All of this, being spent in God's purposes, is for you. And by you for others. God's great display of power that we just went through in, in 6 through 14. All this treasure in clay pots. That's for whom? That's right. You should be pointing this way. For me. Think about that. For it is all for your sake. Paul answers the question. If something is done for your sake, let me ask you this. What would you, what name would you put on that if something is done for your sake? If I do something for rich, I'll give it away out of the grace of my heart. I'm not obligated to do it for rich, am I? But I do it for grace to rich. So it's done for His sake. And it is through grace that God extends salvation to us. God's grand picture is all about us, you, me, seeing God's grace. God has set His affections, His love on you in Christ. Now, sometimes I don't feel that way. But it often doesn't matter what I feel. It matters what I know, right? So let's look at what we know. Let's go to Deuteronomy 7.7. 7. And you should go there. You should see this. Deuteronomy 7.7. 7. This is God to His people. Deuteronomy 7.7. 7. It was not because you were... God sets His affections on this. He gives us grace. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all peoples. God set His affection. He extended grace. And you might say, well, Nate, that's the Old Testament Israel. I'm glad you asked. Okay. Let's go to 1 Peter. I'll give you a second to get there. I know I'm moving fast. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. This is Peter speaking to the church. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What does he say? A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God has set his affection on His people. He has set His affection on you. That should cause you to ask why. Because I know me. Y'all don't know me. I know me. Why would God do such a thing? Why would God extend such grace to me? And then why would there be such demonstration of power to me? Why? Well, Paul answers the question, thankfully. He says, so that as grace extends to more and more people, 
so that more and more people can see this grand picture at work in our lives by God's demonstration. God draws more and more people to Himself. Ephesians 2, 8-10. through 10. This is our job. You all know this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Most people stop right there. Don't stop. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're supposed to extend grace to others so that grace extends to more and more people. And it, so here's the verse, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase. And here's the word of the week. Thanksgiving. Okay. May increase thanksgiving. Grace increases. Say it. Thanksgiving. Grace increases thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for God's provision. Thanksgiving for God's salvation. Thanksgiving for God's sustainment. And with the knowledge that He will raise us up in Christ and bring us into His presence forevermore. I get the same benefit package you do. It's great. And then finally comes the answer. It's all to the glory of God. Why? So that grace may extend to more and more people, increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And there's only one way this happens. That's why Paul laid it out first. It's through God's power. If the purpose, the object, the power and the grace all belong to God, then who gets the glory? God. Right? Not me. I, I think I already said it to someone this morning. I'm a dumb hick from Georgia. Okay? All the glory belongs to Him. And this brings us to point number four. God's salvation causes rejoicing. If that don't light your fire, I said it before, your wood's wet. Yeah, you're just not thinking. This, this truth has it soaked into your soul. So Paul lands his text where he gives us four more contrasts. You know, he's beating on these contrasts. It's great. Paul continues with the motif of struggle and rescue, affliction and reward, all of which display God's glory and bring rejoicing. So we see in verse 16, he says, so we don't lose heart. We're not beat down by all of this. We don't quit because of it. We don't lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. I'm 62 years old, and I've begun to notice my hands. The chronologically gifted people in the room are laughing. The younger folks are going, what's he talking about? But... But yeah, my hands are beginning to look like my grandfather's. I've got the ropey veins and the creases and the place that he has. That's my outer self is wasting away. I think I can do things and thankfully I still can, but it takes an extra day of recovery for me. And I imagine as I get older, it might take two or three. I'll ask Rich. But... Sorry, Rich. <laughs> He's my brother. But yeah, my outer self is wasting away. 
It's wasting away. But my inner self is renewed day by day. Now I can get discouraged over that. I have a terminal appointment. We all do in the room. But each morning when I read my Bible, God gives me something new and fresh in the inner man. And I have strength to make it through the day. So let me ask you, are you discouraged? You know, the world's trying to live forever. People are freezing their bodies, doing all kinds of stuff. They're trying to live forever. We all have that terminal appointment. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. Are you discouraged? Or are you being renewed day by day? I encourage you to get in God's Word daily and pray and seek His face. And He will renew you. It's not something I can stir up. It's not something you can stir up. God will do it in you. Verse 17, Paul says, Look, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. All comparison. Slight momentary affliction, far greater eternal weight of glory. You ever thought of glory as weight? Actually, the Hebrew word for glory is weight. God has great glory. He has great weight. He's a weighty God. Not that He's overweight. He's not. He has great weight and power. And Paul, when he says this, this slight momentary affliction, far greater eternal weight of glory, he's using investment math. That's precisely what he's doing. He's saying, weigh these things out like they used to weigh money. And let me tell you, this is by far the best investment that I have ever come across. 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years invested for Christ. For what? All of eternity. All of eternity. That's a great investment. <laughs> you know, I, I'll buy that stock by the power of God. So it's by the far, far the best investment plan we've ever had. Verse 18, moving on. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Finally, Paul, he takes two contrasts and he puts them together. He first gives us one contrast and then he expands that contrast using the second. And by doing this, Paul helps us to fix our eyes on eternal things, not on our temporary struggles. Because this is where we often get stuck, isn't it? We get stuck on temporal things. He points us to the place where we receive our support and reward in the resurrection power of Christ. He said things seen are transient. Things unseen are eternal. And I like to think of this as riding a train. I've never rode a train at all in the United States. I think I've ridden a tube a few times in cities, but I've never ridden a train. But when I lived in Europe, stationed in Europe, I rode trains all over the place. It's a lot of fun. But I like to think of riding a train here. Things that are transient. I can see stuff out the window. I'm back there in the car and faster the train goes. It's, it was always funny to try to track something with my eyes or just fix my eyes and watch them go by in a blur. I'm crazy that way. But you can see the transient things going by. And if I were to attempt to take hold of one of those, what would happen to me? Yeah, yeah, 
I can't hold on to the things that are transient, can I? But the unseen things are more like the engine. I can't see the engine up front. I can't even see my destination. I just see some map that they put up there and I know where I'm going. But I can't see the engine. Every once in a while, maybe on a curve, I get a little glimpse of it like I do in life with God. So I can't even see any of the power that's in the engine or anything like that. All that's in front of me. Even the tracks, the things that are carrying me along like the Holy Spirit, I can't see them. I'm just in the train. You know, but they're real nonetheless. God is real. God is taking me to my final destination and it's real. And that should cause rejoicing. So this brings us to our conclusion. I need to land the airplane. My honest prayer this morning is that you have seen the great work that God has done for you. I really want you to get that. All that he has provided in Christ for your sustainment and salvation through these four simple points. Salvation is from God. It's God who has put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts so that our pots not crush. Salvation is demonstrated by God through weak vessels. I think we covered that. In all these things, the Bible says we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, through Christ. Point number three, salvation comes to us through the grace of God. Romans 5.2 tells us, for we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, right? The access came by grace and it came by faith. And then the fourth point, God's salvation causes rejoicing. And the last part of that Romans verse is, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. My hope is that this message will bring you great encouragement in all of life's struggles, that you'll flip back to this time to time in the days and weeks, months, years ahead with a view towards the wonderful things that God the Father has given us in Christ, which includes resurrection and eternal life. And our faith does not, your faith does not need to falter in times of affliction, especially when we remember that God is using our struggles to display His glory. His blessings far outweigh any struggles that we face. And it's all because we have this gospel cornucopia, the all-sufficient, everlasting supply in Jesus Christ that God has brought to pass and given to you. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't say that if you don't have this, then you don't have this hope. You don't have this hope. Okay? There's nothing you can grab a hold of. And I, maybe God is beginning to show you that you need that. So we, I know you have good elders and a great pastor in this church. I would encourage you that you would pray and ask Christ to show you this and get with these folks. They're good men. They know the Scriptures. And they'll point you to Christ. So, let's pray. Father, I pray that You would fasten this like a nail in our hearts. That uh, every time we get anxious, every time we're perplexed, every time we're knocked down or pushed against or persecuted, Lord, that instead of getting mad, angry, anxious, 
that we would turn to Christ in all His glory. And Lord, we would turn to Him, the all-sufficient Christ, to fill our pots, to fill our clay pots, and to hold us up in all situations. I pray that for all those under the sound of my voice today. In Christ's name, Amen.